0: What is up, everybody? We are back. It is another edition of College Football Gridiron after a bit of a hiatus beginning this ridiculous 2020 season. The man on the other side of my Zoom screen is Jimmy Sullivan. I'm Nick DeLuca. Jimmy, a pleasure to be back as always, chopping it up, talking about some college football with you.
1: It's great to be back here, Nick. i uh, got to be honest with you, I was never 100% sure that uh, we were going to be able to talk about some college football this fall. Nonetheless, we are. It's great to be back, great to have games to talk about, and can't wait to get into it with you here. we got a lot to break down. It's been a busy start to this college football season.
0: Yeah, as you said, a ton to break down in terms of COVID and then the actual football that's being played on the field. Hard to believe that it's actually week six of the season already. SEC, ACC, Big 12 in action right now. The Big 10 slated to start on October the 24th, the Pac-12, November 7th. So some pretty funky rankings right now and trying to assess what's going on in the top 25. I guess we should start because this is the most serious and perhaps the most pertinent conversation to have, but just your initial reaction to how things have gone through these first five weeks of the season, how certain teams have handled these COVID protocols, and whether we think we can actually get to the end of a college football season.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it's been... um... Some teams have handled it better than others. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, There are some coaches who I think have done a really good job. Uh, Even though he had a big outbreak, Brian Kelly came out and said, look, we're going to disclose the numbers because it's a matter of public health. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, And I think this is not the ideal college football season, but it's 2020. Nothing is ideal. And I think these conferences have figured out ways forward. And, you know, you could talk about the, the merits of it, whatever, uh, big Ten and Pac-12, their handling of it was particularly interesting, and they're in, I think, a decent enough position. Even though they're starting later, now that they have the rapid testing, at least according to them, I think that's a big deal. Because uh, we've seen with the NFL, they don't necessarily have the quantities of rapid testing, and so they have positive tests still coming in now that you know could have happened a couple of days ago, where somebody uh, gets infected with the virus. So. I think it's not ideal. And people have also talked about leadership, right, with the NCAA, how there should be a quote unquote central governing body to just make all the decisions. There's enough leadership in the NCAA. It's just scattered in a million different places. You know, you have the SEC's interests, the Big Ten's interests, the ACC's interests. So this was always, I think, the way it was going to go. It was going to be a hodgepodge. You weren't going to have every conference in college football organized on this so you have the handful of conferences that started either on time or close to on time and then you have conferences now all figuring out their plans whether they wind up starting in october november if they play eight games ten games whatever it may be so this to me was always how it was going to go and you know look they're gonna play through it i think we will get to the end of the season i think we will have a national champion uh frankly, part of it is, let, let's be real here, there's a lot of money at stake involved in staging a college football playoff and having big bowl games, even if they're not necessarily with fans in the winter. So, yes, I do think we will have a champion because remember the NCAA lost out on March Madness, so they don't want to lose out on their two biggest events of the year. want to have at least one of them, and I think we will have a national champion in January. You can write that down, use that against me if things do wind up going south here. But I do think college football will, whether it be hell or high water, get to the end of the season and crowd a national champion.
0: And Jimmy, I'm glad that you brought up the part about conferences because I think that's the most unique part of this whole operation. It's not like the NFL where Roger Goodell and the league office is in charge of everything that every team does. There is different jurisdictions. So the a- the ACC could say one thing, the SEC can disagree, and they can do different things. But it's just such a weird sort of format where you have some teams playing right now. We've got teams that are ranked that haven't played A game yet and what does that whole conversation look like as you approach the college football playoff? We're talking about the Pac-12 starting November 7th. Is there going to be a number of games that you need to play to qualify for the college football playoff? Is the Pac-12, though they've sort of taken themselves out of that conversation the last couple of years just by the play on the field, but now are those teams going to be eligible to play in the college football playoff because of the way things shake out? So a lot to get to In terms of that, as we continue to monitor the situation with college football in a season that I think you and I both hope will continue to go on with as few hiccups as possible because it's been really nice for a change just to be able to focus on college football and not have to worry about everything else that has been going on. Of course, legitimate concerns and things that we want to concern ourselves with, but just to be able to focus on college football has been nice so let's go on to the play on the field at least from this past weekend I want to start with you on Georgia Auburn was the game of the week this past weekend on ESPN Georgia taking it 27 to 6 in which Auburn did not look its best and I may be saying that politely because Bo Nix in that offense was pretty dreadful and Georgia a team that we weren't really sure how they were going to rebound coming into this season, the loss of Jake Fromm going in to the NFL, and you're wondering about what their quarterback situation was going to look like and how all those things would shake out. But Stetson Bennett, the fourth, really answering the call, and Georgia looked really good this past Saturday night against (laughs) Auburn, who didn't really look great.
1: Yeah, Nick, and it's interesting you bring up Stetson Bennett in this conversation because the talk around Georgia – has revolved a lot around the quarterback situation. They got Jamie Newman, the transfer from Wake Forest. He opted out. Then they got JT Daniels, the one-time blue-chip prospect from USC, and he's still kind of getting used to the system. And then they have Dewan Mathis, who they thought maybe they could put out there. Basically, everyone had been talking about almost everyone other than Stetson Bennett. And here he goes out there has... I thought he played a nice game, you know, 240 yards, as you said, 17 of 28 passing and he did enough, right? Georgia's got a good defense. We've established that they, yes, need to have a good quarterback, but they don't need to have a quarterback who puts up insanely prolific numbers. I think we could agree that that maybe is not as necessary for Georgia as it is for some other teams, but going over to Auburn here, man oh man I mean that that offense looked horrible with Bo Nix at the helm when we were thinking in year two maybe he takes a leap uh he has not evidently done that in the first couple of games and against a good defense on Saturday night between the hedges he underperformed he was not good and the offense as a whole just was really putrid and I think that goes goes back to Gus Malzahn unfortunately and he went into that game with a plan and did not have his team ready to play. And I think that's a big disappointment for Auburn fans because a lot of people coming into that game thought it was going to be really good, myself included. And Georgia just came in, ran circles around them. They were excellent defensively. Offense did enough. They ran for about 200 yards. And that's kind of going to be the blueprint for Georgia moving forward if they want to get into the CFP. And that's how they're going to have to win games. But for Auburn, you have to be extremely disappointed. Uh, In the way this offense looked, you have an offensive-minded coach in Gus Malzahn, and you're not paying him that money to, in a big game against one of your top rivals, score six points. So that's an extraordinarily disappointing result for Auburn, and one that Gus Malzahn, I think, deserves a lot of criticism for. Not just that they lost but in the manner in which they did getting so thoroughly outclassed by Georgia.
0: Now I agree with you because I think it's more about the manner in which they lost than about the loss overall. I don't think anybody, the spread going into the game was seven and a half. So I don't think that anybody was supremely confident that Auburn would walk in on the road and defeat Georgia a team that has been really good over the last couple of years. But to see that game play out the way it did, and I'll read off a couple of numbers here, Bo Nix, 21 of 40, 177 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception, a quarterback rating of 56.3. That's that's yikes numbers right there. But I think the more concerning thing for Auburn, and it'll tie into my point about Georgia in a moment and how good they have been on both ends of the line of scrimmage, but they they just dominated the line of scrimmage. Auburn ran 22 times for 39 yards, and that's where the game was won. Georgia carries it 45 times for 202, and Auburn 22 for 39. When you win the line of scrimmage the way that Georgia did, that has been a hallmark for them the last couple of years, having some really strong offensive lines, despite perhaps not having the most in some skill position places over the last couple of years they really wanted in the trenches and I think that's the most encouraging thing for Georgia the most not encouraging thing for Auburn to see yourselves get whooped in the trenches the way they did but a credit to Georgia who came out they were physical they set the tone 200 yards rushing you hold the other team under 40 you're gonna win a lot of games
1: you certainly are, Nick. And I, I think you talk about the battle in the trenches and you know the pressure that Bo Nix was under. Nobody had any room to run, and this is an important year for Bo Nix's development, for the Auburn offense's development in a lot of ways. And when you don't give your quarterback time to throw or room to run, because you know let, let's let's be honest here. I mean, Bo Nix is also kind of a running quarterback, and when you don't give your quarterback that kind of time, it's going to adversely affect him. But as you said, a big credit to Georgia. They've been really impressive. And I think you can make the argument. I'm not saying I'm going to make it necessarily. But you can make the argument that Georgia's the best team in the SEC right now. Just the way they've looked. And they've been really good in the trenches, as you said, Nick. They're still figuring out the quarterback situation. So that could be even an area where they can improve even from here. But they've looked really, really good. They've justified a lot of the experts who were picking them to go to the college football playoff preseason, or in some cases in the season, whatever you want to call it, just because the season's been so weird. But they've, they've been really impressive. And maybe Saturday's result has more to do with Auburn. Time will tell on that, I think. But you have to give a lot of props to Georgia. I mean, Kirby Smart had that defense running around and they only give up six points against an Auburn offense we thought was going to be really good. Hey, give them a lot of credit. They played a really, really great game in front of what they call the sold-out crowd uh, in Athens the other night. So a lot of credit to Georgia that for was, the way they played on Saturday.
0: That was ridiculous, and we don't necessarily have to get into that. But, yeah, I, I don't think too many COVID guidelines were being followed This past weekend, which is unfortunate. So Alabama may want a word on the best team in the SEC talk. I thought they were really impressive in the second half against Texas A&M, but that's a discussion that will be had as the season continues. And I'm sure that those teams will meet up at some point and we'll be able to assess better about what the outlook is for the SEC. So let's transition from one disappointing quarterback to another one. And Texas, well, they're not back. Sam Ellinger and the Longhorns fall again to TCU. It seems like Gary Patterson and the Horn Frogs have Texas' number the last couple of years. They win it 33-31 on the road. Sam Ellinger, disappointing, 17-36, to 236. He did have four touchdowns, but threw the pick 74.5 quarterback rating. But Texas, a team that continually has the high hopes. They've been hyped up the last couple of years, they haven't started 3-0 and in the last three years, and that's just really difficult for a team that's running out of places to point the blame other than Tom Herman, their head coach.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting at Texas. It's not just a thing about Tom Herman or this year's team, last year's team, team from the year before. This program, over the last 10 years, has really fallen precipitously. And we're sitting here talking about how, Oh yeah, this might be the year for Texas. It's almost become a meme, right? You go into each season and you say, okay, this is the year Texas is back. This is the year they're going to be really good. And it never happens. Uh, and another supremely disappointing result, Nick, as you said, Sam Ellinger completes less than half of his passes, 17 of 36 against TCU and Look, I mean, this—it's obviously a, a slightly compressed Big Twelve season, so you know you probably need to win every game to go to the playoffs. So that's gone. Uh, Texas is a team that came into this weekend as the ninth-ranked team in America, and they carried a lot of expectations with them. Sam Ellinger feels like he's been with Texas forever, and yet here they are with another uh, supremely disappointing loss to TCU. Uh, and you can fill in Team X, whether it's TCU or Iowa State or whoever you want. They seem to have a couple of these every year where they lose a really bad game to a team they're not supposed to lose to. So that part of that goes back to coaching. Credit to TCU, yes, Gary Patterson always has his team playing hard, even if they're not necessarily as good. But for Texas, you know, as a program, those are the games you need to win to ascend to the next level, right? The close games where you're going up against it against the team you should probably beat, those are the games you need to win. Yes, everyone's going to pay attention to them playing Oklahoma every year if, you know, if they get to the Big 12 championship game, that game too. But the games that are close down the stretch, you need to win. Texas has not done that under Tom Herman. And I think that's the real concern for Texas fans. Tom Herman's in year four now. And is the program appreciably better than when he took over? I think it's better, but I I don't think it's by leaps and bounds over when he took over the job uh, in in early 2017.
0: That's the most frustrating thing because you felt like they were on the right track and, even the clip of we're back when they win the sugar bowl, you get all excited about where Texas is heading and you just really haven't seen them been able to build on some of the successes that they've had at times. Two things really jumped out at me in this game. One, again, I'm a huge guy who's going to pay attention to the rushing numbers. And I don't mean to state the obvious, but Texas's defense is awful. And I get it. It's the big 12. But you give up 230 yards on the ground against Max Duggan. And that offense for TCU, I don't mean to talk bad about them, but I just don't think that there's a ton special that they do. And I don't, again, want to take away credit where it's deserved for TCU, who I thought had a very good game plan going into this game. But it's just you you watch it and to see them – struggle on defense the way they did. I understand why you struggle against Texas's offense. They have a good offense, and I think you can be reasonably confident in what Sam Ellinger does on that offensive side of the ball, but their defense is just atrocious, and I think it costs them the game more so than anything their offense did, although Ellinger wasn't fantastic in that game either. Number two the penalties. That game was incredibly sloppy. So on both sides for TCU, 14 penalties for 101 yards, And for Texas, it's 12 for 92. That game started with a kickoff that went inside the 10-yard line tackled by TCU. Oh, No offsides on the kickoff will re-kick. Next kick, oh, we'll take it down to the two-yard line, Oh, offsetting penalties of a block in the back, and TCU was still offside. And then we'll kick it off a third time, and now we're finally going to play football. So if that doesn't tell you about – How that game went, I don't know what will, but it was just such a sloppy effort from both sides. I get it. It's early in the season, and you're trying to get your feet under you, but I'm just confident in the track record that Gary Patterson has, and you say, okay, that's a bit of an aberration on the TCU side. It's not so much on the side of Texas and Tom Herman and just the way that they have run things since he's gotten there have just been difficult, and we'll see if they can continue to improve, perhaps win out and put themselves back into the college football playoff conversation, but it's just a frustrating, there's no other way to say it, it's frustrating on the side of Texas, because this is a team that had high hopes, that was supposed to be back, they were supposed to be good, and they really haven't done that and produced over the last couple of years. So now to another disappointing team as we recap, finish the recap of week five of the college football season, it's Oklahoma falling once again against Iowa State. Spencer Rattler is the starting quarterback there, and and Lincoln Riley and his group off to a rough start when Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and then Jalen Hurts are not walking through that door.
1: Yeah, I like the way you put that, that little subtle Rick Pitino, uh, Larry Bird comment, but it's absolutely true. Uh, Spencer Rattler, to to borrow a line from a vice presidential debate of (laughs) yours, is no Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts, or Baker Mayfield. He's just not that. And we have raved over the past couple of years about Lincoln Riley's ability to just plug in quarterback X and make it work. Spencer Rattler has not appeared to be that guy. His developmental curve is a little bit longer. And you talked about Texas's defensive issues. Oklahoma has a lot of the same defensive issues, unfortunately. and. You make the joke about, you know, it's the Big 12, nobody plays defense. Well, yeah, and that's probably at the end of the day why they're not going to have a team in the college football playoff because there aren't a lot of teams that can do it on both ends of the ball. A lot of teams that can put up points, not a lot of teams that can defend. And Oklahoma had those same issues against Iowa State. You know, a credit to Matt Campbell who – is a little similar to Gary Patterson in some ways that he will have that team ready to play. And they rip off a big win. It seems every year, even though they usually finish seven and five or eight and four. Uh, so a big credit to Matt Campbell, a big credit to Iowa state, but we've seen it the last two weeks now for Oklahoma, whether it was the K state game last week or the Iowa state game this week. Um, this team is not as good as the teams that have, uh, have played in the past, and you know Spencer Rattler in that K State game, four TDs, three interceptions, kind of like you know my line when I used to play the high school football portion of the career mode in NCAA football 14. Uh, so that's not what you want to see for sure. They lost a heartbreaker down the stretch to K State, which I think is the game that they'll really regret coming down the stretch here. But this team is nowhere near where it was in the last couple of years. And I think, uh, you know, is it anybody's fault necessarily? I don't know, but it's an Oklahoma team that is significantly worse. Now they're unranked. And uh, I think this is a team that some of these struggles are going to continue throughout the season, and I wouldn't be surprised. They lose a couple of more games here before the season wraps up.
0: Yeah, sustained success is difficult, and – look, Alabama and some of these other programs in the SEC, Georgia, for example, sort of make it look easy, but it's really not that easy. And Lincoln Riley has had a ton of success with some transfer and veteran quarterbacks. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a veteran. Kyler Murray is a guy who waited a year behind Mayfield to get his opportunity and was in his system a couple of years. And I know Spencer Rattler was there, but this is, he's still a redshirt freshman, and this is still sort of new for him. The biggest thing that sort of was interesting to me in watching that game was how bad Oklahoma's offense was on third down. That's a maturity thing, right? When you're talking about making the big throws on the third down, that's where you win in college football. And Oklahoma, four of 13 on third down. Again, in a conference where teams don't really play too much defense. It's a 37-30 game. So when you don't execute on third down, you're going to find yourselves in difficult positions and Spencer Rattler still has some room to grow that's for sure I think he's got a lot of talent and I think that there is reason for optimism and excitement going forward because he's by no means a finished product but maybe we'll have to slow the hype train on him a little bit because Oklahoma we knew they didn't play much defense dating back to last year coming into this year they lose some key members of that defense from last year coming into this year as well so We'll see. We'll see where they end up because it, I'm I'm fascinated by Oklahoma with seeing if they can, can pull out a few wins because I, I liked what I saw early on with that team, but it was a disappointing effort. There, there's no other way to say it against Iowa State. I do want to give some credit to Iowa State, though. I think they're always well coached. Matt Campbell is one of the better coaches in the Big 12, two of the better coaches in the Big 12, Lincoln Riley and Matt Campbell, and Campbell wins out. This past weekend. So let's move on to this week as we look at some of the better games across college football, Miami Clemson, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida and Texas A&M are going to be the ones that I think that we will break down for you. Let's start with what is considered the Game of the weekend, although Clemson is still favored by 14 points. It happens at Memorial Stadium in Clemson, South Carolina, number one. Clemson Tigers against the Miami Hurricanes, ranked number seven. They're and 3-0 this year. Manny Diaz on the big stage with trying to bring Miami back to some relevance, but I have a feeling that we're going to have to stick with the team that's number one in the college football rankings right now.
1: I th- this game's fascinating. Uh, I'm sure you remember this, Nick. When Lamar Jackson brought Louisville into Clemson, I think it was 2016, I'm pretty sure, and both those states were right to the top five, and Clemson wound up winning. They had to stop Louisville on the last drive. This game reminds me a little bit of that. With the way De'Ara King has played for Miami in the first few weeks here, you talk about Clemson as the big favorite I'm going to take Clemson to win. I think it'll be closer than that spread, though. I, I like what Miami has done, and again, I- I'm not going to you know <laughs> jump on the chair and say Miami's back. Everybody wants to do that every year, but I think with D'Eric King's transfer, this is a Miami team that could do really big things because we've talked about them over the last few years with kind of a revolving door of quarterbacks saying okay if they ever get that position figured out they'll be good they just hadn't gotten that position figured out now they do i think this is a team that's going to be there at the end of the season maybe not for college football playoff but i think they could absolutely get into a a quote-unquote new year's six bowl um whatever that winds up looking like at the end of the season it's a good miami team i'm convinced on Miami, but. Clemson is the number one team in the country for a reason, and I just have a hard time going up against, A, that defense, coached by Brett Venables, B, Trevor Lawrence, under the lights, at home. Give me Clemson, but I think it'll be a better game than some people think.
0: I love Clemson. Man, oh man, they're such a good team. There's no other way to say it. And when you look at Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney and Venables, you mentioned just the way they're coaching and the continuity I think matters too. This was something that we saw talked about a lot in NFL circles, right? With the teams that were sort of more together as established programs were going to have a greater chance for success because they just knew what to expect with condensed off seasons and things not working out the way they traditionally do in terms of practice and everything else. So I think that that will work to Clemson's advantage. I love Derek King too, because Miami does look like they finally have a quarterback. I'm looking at some statistics side by side here. And you look at King 63 and 94, 736 for six touchdowns. And then to his right, you got Trevor Lawrence, 55 to 75 for 848 and seven touchdowns. Those aren't too dissimilar, which is pretty striking because Trevor Lawrence is pretty well hands down a Heisman Trophy frontrunner and somebody who I think a lot of people would regard as the best quarterback in college football. So to see King sort of keep pace with him is really impressive. But I just think when you look at the hole that Clemson has, the continuity, some of the players that they have, I love what I've seen from them in the trenches as well, offensive and defensive line. They're strong in the front seven. And Travis Etienne in that running game as well. I don't know how you would ever pick against Clemson. I know you didn't, Jimmy. But I think this game may actually be a little bit farther apart. I think Clemson is going to really expose the type of team that they are. Not to say that Miami's bad. It's not really reflecting almost anything that Miami is doing. It's more about how dominant Clemson is. And I expect them to really take that game and run, especially at home with maybe some home field advantage more than they should, again, in talking about some of the lax COVID restrictions on some of these campuses, but we'll see. I I like Clemson to come close to covering that 14 against Miami. I think it will be a little bit of a greater margin. Let's move on to Tennessee and Georgia. We just raved about how good Georgia looked this past weekend against Auburn, 27 to six over the Tigers and really stifling Bo Nix. Tennessee is three and O this year. Should be an interesting matchup of two of the better teams in the SEC. Jeremy Pruitt trying to get things back on track for Tennessee. As they creep toward relevance, Georgia is still a stalwart in that SEC. It's Georgia minus 12. Jimmy, who are you picking?
1: I am going to take Georgia in this game. Uh, like what Tennessee's doing, they're improved under Jeremy Pruitt. I remember the fan base a couple of years ago was not happy. Uh, about certain moves they were making at the the coaching spot. Jeremy Pruitt's the right guy in charge. He's doing a good job. It's a much better team than a couple of years ago. All of that being said, have to go with Georgia. And shout-out Tennessee quarterback Jarrett Garantano, who I went to high school with and would be remiss not to mention. He's played pretty well over the first two weeks. That being said, Georgia's the better team here, uh, and I think they will take care of business, assuming the quarterback play remains competent. Georgia is going to be a very hard team to beat not just for Tennessee but for anybody else maybe in the country as well so I like Georgia in this game by I'd say a couple of touchdowns we'll call it by anywhere from 14 to 21 points I think Georgia comes out with another big home victory
0: Tennessee has kind of caught me by surprise this year and maybe they shouldn't have because they're looking for eight straight wins going back to last year but They were a program that I thought was really difficult to read, and in part because I didn't feel like they had the quarterback situation mapped out, and Jared Garantano has really taken the reins there, and I've been impressed with what I've seen from him, but Georgia's just too good, and that's the reality of the situation. Georgia was fantastic, as again I said against Auburn, and I just think it comes down to when where they're going to win in the trenches. I mean, I think that's really such an advantage for Georgia and how good that their front seven has looked and how good their offensive line has looked. And I don't know that Tennessee can compete with that. Stetson Bennett has looked good at times as well. And I think that that's in large part due to some of the comfort that he's had with a great offensive line and with some good running game to go with it. I'm looking at the ESPN matchup predictor right now. It's at 88.5 in favor of Georgia. It's a 12 point spread. I, I agree with you, Jimmy. I think it's going to come close to that 12 points. Uh, and I think that Georgia is going to end up covering this game at home for them. You don't like Tennessee on the road. Another team, it's kind of weird because you don't want to talk bad about Tennessee. You don't want to talk bad about. Miami, two programs you feel like are moving in the right directions, just not there yet against the powerhouses that are Georgia and Clemson. Out of the final game of the weekend that we're going to break down, Florida and Texas A&M. Florida looked really good over the weekend, although South Carolina did make a bit of a comeback, but their defense, I thought, looked very good. Texas A&M hung in there in the first half against Alabama. Things really fell off the rails in the second half. We've got Dan Mullen on one side, you've got Jimbo Fisher on the other. Two of the better coaches in the SEC, should be a good battle between these two programs. I like Florida in this game just cuz I think they've got more talent on their roster, but I think that Texas A&M could hang around and make this a close one.
1: Yeah, I think they will make this a close one. I, it, Florida's weird. People have really hyped Florida. It, it's a two-horse race basically in the SEC East, between Georgia and Florida. And people have hyped Florida. I'm just maybe a little skeptical because um, they have not played maybe as many big games. Part of that is they haven't been in as many big games because of some losses early in the season. Um, they've had good years the last couple of years, so that's not to take away from that. I have a weird feeling about this game. I'm going to take A&M. Uh, I just think this game at home is, is probably a little bit of an advantage for Texas A&M, not as much as it would be normally. Uh, Florida's offense has been mighty impressive over the last couple of games. But, you know, their defense has been all right. Uh, Played well, as we said, last week against South Carolina. Gave up a lot of yards to Ole Miss, a team that is high on the funometer but isn't necessarily going to be that good this year. I don't know. I just get an odd feeling about this game. It's a noon start. I'm going to take the upset here. I'll hitch my wagons to Jimbo and Texas A&M. And uh, quietly, they're in year three of Jimbo Fisher being there, and they kind of need a, a big win. They haven't had a lot of those in the first couple of years with them. So I'm going to take Texas A&M here. Uh, kind of off of a gut feeling, yes, but uh, the Texas A&M is going to come in a little bit desperate because they fall to 1-2 and two if they lose this game, and uh, their aspirations of doing anything serious postseason-wise probably end if they lose this weekend.
0: There you have it, folks. Jimmy Sullivan talking about the phenomenon. I'm going to go with Florida, as I said, just before I threw it to you. It's, It's a tough one, and I think this game could be close, but I like what I've seen out of Florida's offense. Kyle Trask has been really good this year. I think their defense did enough against South Carolina, and I think they can continue to that. Kellen Mond with some of the turnovers. I get it. It's Alabama. I was concerned by some of the play for them particularly in the second half but that should just about wrap it up for us here on our return return of the mac here on college football gridiron so much fun to be breaking down all the college football with my man jimmy sullivan i'm nick DeLuca. we will have episodes for you every week throughout the rest of this college football season enjoy saturday and we'll talk to you soon